0: Today's episode, Upgrading Apple Laptops with Bad Languages. Yes, in the 19th season, the start of the 19th season of Geek Speak, we will be talking about Apple laptops and a lot about programming. So if you're not a technical enthusiast and a programmer and stuff, you might just fade off at some point in this episode. But don't you worry, we'll have another one real soon. Hello, my name is Lyle Troxell. I'm a senior software engineer at Netflix this is Geek Speak. Today I've brought into the studio Miles Elam. He's a software engineer working in lovely Santa Cruz, California. Hi, Miles. How's it going? And Mr. Brian Young. He's a software engineer working in Palo Alto. Hello, hello. We got Los Gatos, Santa Cruz, Palo Alto. That's a pretty good representation. Yeah. That's Silicon Valley.
1: And I finally had my moment. I, I, I truly feel like a software engineer. I, I walked in here with my first hoodie in years. And uh, today, I, I, I'm sitting in a kayak in Elkhorn Slough. This on, morning. Yeah, this morning. Uh-huh. This morning. I'm sitting in a kayak in Elkhorn Slough, enjoying nature, watching the, uh, the uh, animals all around me. What, what, what are those animals? Um, the otters. good the otters. Good Christ. Christ. And then my phone rings. The phone deep down in my kayak, underneath my skirt. What do I do? I can take the call with my watch. <laughs> and I can talk to the mechanic who is fixing my beater car, a beater car that is half electric. Man, I'm living the dream. <laughs> Dude.
0: So you didn't work today. You
1: lazy you're,
2: an Apple, you're an Apple ad. That's exactly <laughs> what they did in the Apple ad, except it was on a, <laughs> I, I, a
1: paddleboard. I can't do the paddleboard. I just can't do that. I got to sit down or something.
0: Miles, didn't you just recently buy a new laptop? A uh, new I Apple did. Laptop? It has
1: not shipped yet. Um,
2: but I'm finally replacing my 2012 uh, Apple Unibody
0: your tooth that's a 2012 in front of you
2: yep it, is this, this the one that
0: is this the one that has an embedded red line in the screen because you replaced it but forgot to take the sticker off uh it's
2: not a it's not a red line it's just red letters <laughs> at the bottom <laughs> and if i'm going to sell this laptop to someone else down the road i'm going to need to open this oh, no. screen back up again and get that no, out wait you opened it up for somebody else but not for yourself why didn't you do it when you first did it cuz i realized i don't care okay it, it really didn't so affect you me bought a lot a i was brand
0: more new Retina touch screw, touch bar no, MacBook Pro.
2: Absolutely not. Why not?
0: That's because, the new hotness,
2: sir. No, it, it's the burnt <laughs> hotness. Because, okay, let's let's say, what am I going to get out of the brand spanking new laptops? A much lighter wallet, sir. A much <laughs> lighter wallet. <laughs> yes. Um, I would say, if, if I wanted more RAM than my 2012, because my 2012, I upgraded. To 16 gigs of RAM. So the machine in front of you has 16 gigs of RAM. Right. That's the top you can get for the touch. No, except right? for the 2018 Mac Pros, you can get 32. As long as you pay, to start with, $3,200. But you're buying $3, this like, on eBay or something, right? Because Apple's yes. not selling this product anymore. Right. But $3,300, and that's if you want the lowest amount of storage that goes along with it. And you better choose the right amount of storage okay. because you don't get to upgrade it. But we're talking about a machine that was sold a while ago.
0: So can't you get one of those relatively cheap on eBay that has it fully stacked with great hard drives and great
2: RAM? Uh, I did buy a 2015 model. OK? So three years ahead, it's still six or what is it, four years old, four years old, yes. But the thing about it is, I wasn't going to get one of those because they had a proprietary storage. Unit in it. And every time I looked at the prices on them, they were exorbitant. And, and how, much, the, how much storage do you want to put in there? Like a terabyte? Uh, yeah, but there are two terabyte modules out there now. But what you're saying is that,
0: that that motherboard's uh, terabyte ability is an Apple connector. So you have to buy right. it through Apple?
2: The power of this 2012 model that I have sitting in front of me, you know, my precious, is that when I purchased it, you know, when it was first released, Eight gigabytes was the most it could have in terms of RAM because they weren't making eight gig sim, uh, sorry uh, SMDM modules yeah. yet, and you had a hard drive like a two hundred fifty gig like a spinning hard drive. platter yes. kind of thing, yeah, uh, and it had a DVD ROM drive, DVD writer, and since then I have upgraded it to sixteen gigs of RAM. I replaced the splitting platter with an SSD. In fact, I took out the CD-ROM dri- or DVD-ROM How's drive. How's your read and write speeds on it? So because I had oh, two yeah. SATA 3 SSDs in there, and because the SATA 3 bus maxes out at 5 gigabits <laughs> a second. Did you RAID your drives? Yes, I made them RAID 0. <laughs> I have a really RAID fast. 0 in my laptop, which means that this 2012 model has 1 gigabit per second read and write. That's good. Because that's what the SATA 3 bus can handle if you have them in parallel. So then I look at, well, what if I get like a 2013 or 2014, like when those years were coming when I was looking at them? And at the time, the storage was this proprietary module. wasn't industry standard at all. Couldn't get it. It was faster, but it wasn't that much faster. It was like 1,200 – Megabytes a second, fifteen hundred megabytes a second, something like that. But also, faster, also but not... the new
0: units don't have a CD-ROM, so you only get one drive in there. That that didn't bother me so. As much. As long as you had the speed and the as size, they're okay. the only you didn't reason want I to did...
2: decrease your capacity and speed. Right, right, okay. And starting with the Retina laptops, the RAM was soldered. Yeah, it's been like soldered that's, for a while. that's how much you had. That was it. Yeah. Now. I didn't like that to begin with, but over time I recognized, you know what, The except for those times when I'm trying to import uh, OpenStreetMap, like the entire planet, and, and there, I have not really had cause to say, you know, 16 gigabytes is really cramping my style of RAM. It just it not You're hasn't. not doing video editing, sir? I don't. <laughs> no. Okay. Or Photoshop. <laughs> or, or really well, big do, Photoshop do, files. Well, I do GIMP, but that's not really the same thing. Well, but that, no. that
1: is that a memory out. hog. That's true. Eh.
0: Okay, so... You're guiding a 2015 though. Let's skip ahead a little bit. What's yeah. What's the deal with the 2015? Why does it work for you?
2: So, why it suddenly started working for me was because I discovered that someone made an adapter for the for, proprietary hard drive for the <sighs> proprietary mo- socket that's on the motherboard to the NVMe standard uh, M2 drives that are out there and the PCIe drives that are out there. Which are there. amazing, by the way. You recommended a while ago that I get one of those drives from my external and I use it now for my
0: photo library and it's really fast. Yes. It's fantastic. And, this is the M2 connector and right. you can get USB-C type enclosures for it.
2: Right. And that's one of the things about the, the letters, the little pink letters from the serial <laughs> number your... that's on my screen. The reason why it didn't bug me is because I am far more annoyed by the fact that I don't have a retina screen. <laughs> this low resolution <laughs> is far more distracting to me than the red letters. Okay, the so of your 2015 order. is going to be
0: a retina screen, and you're going to get the machine, and you're going to have the, get this little module. How much does the little module cost?
1: the adapter
0: or the, adapter. the module the adapter cuz the is going to cost whatever the adapter size is you get. 15 bucks 15 bucks and then you're going to get a terabyte drive which is going to be 250 300 right.: like and the That's the standard
2: cool. module that comes with it is like 1700 megabytes per second read 1200 write mm-hmm. um, which you know just wasn't better enough from okay. what i had if I get one of the new Samsung modules, I'm getting somewhere around, at least theoretically, 3,500 megabytes a second, Whoa. read and write, with the newer or 3,500 and are you going to get an M2 that can do that? Yeah. How much does that cost you? And no, you that's, a that's, that's the thing that I'm looking at getting. the The module that's in the laptop already is 512. Right. But the one terabyte that I'm getting, uh, the Evo Plus, is the one that's coming out there. That one's 300 bucks. Uh,
0: 250. That's really great. So you're going to get a terabyte at a much higher speed. Okay, what about
2: the yeah, RAM? Yeah, 250 bucks buys you the proprietary 500 <laughs> megabyte
0: SSD that's slower. Okay, so you're buying this from like eBay, right? Yes, I okay. bought it from eBay. So some person who's selling on eBay, I should mm-hmm. say. Um, and that machine has how much RAM on it? 16. 16. Because you can't increase that,
2: Yeah, and, and can't, you can't find something that I can't increase 32. it on, on this laptop either, and the only way I'd be able to go higher than that is to get a 2018 model, which means I'd also have to have a crappier keyboard. Okay, so let's <laughs> talk about the keyboard, because what
0: I have in front of me is a 2018 model, or maybe it's a 2017. I don't know. It's a work machine. The B, <laughs> the B button and the hyphen button, key, I should say,
2: are not reliable. <laughs> this is oh, not d- useful. Does it get stuff underneath it? Like, so- mm-hmm. okay, so you probably have a 2017 because I think that's what they changed I in the 2018. <laughs> is to put the membrane underneath there, so stuff. I think the 2017 still it.
0: do, but it's a 2017. I didn't get the 18. Um, mostly because I didn't see a big benefit to it. But yeah, the the B sometimes repeats the key at double at double yep, Bs. So, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah blah And and there's no key travel. Like you, no, you press can't it really you tell. Go down one the, millimeter, you're like you're done. And and this should annoy me more than it does. But I do work at. At home, I do work – I mean, sorry, at work and at home, when I'm actually programming a lot, I have an external keyboard. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't affect me as much. But when I'm traveling and stuff, it affects me quite a bit. Um,
2: and it's irritating. Yeah. So if you see typos from me, that's the only reason is because of my keyboard. Yeah, the, the keyboard that's on my 2012 and is also on the 2015 uh, – up to the 2015 models is not a great keyboard. But it's a, it's it's a reasonable laptop keyboard. Yeah.
0: I have that laptop at home right now as kind of a backup machine. And I think I'm going to do the same thing you're doing and kind of boost it up and switch over to it. However, it's all about compile time for me because I am compiling the iOS app and the Android app for work, Mm -hmm. and both of them take CPU to do. So I should probably test compile time on both those machines and see how bad it is.
1: Do you have any idea if it's CPU bound or disk IO bound?
0: I don't. I, I don't know it all on the Android app because I've just started really doing development on the Android app
2: so I'd have to check on that but the the uh, iOS app is CPU bound So I what we need to do is we need to find some large iOS app that's open source and then I'll put it on my new machine, mm. and we'll try compiling. You can put it on your machine, try compiling, and Well, oh, you're see saying what your new out. machine with your new hard
0: drive with, with right. fast throughput, right? To see whether yeah, or not it's I actually the, my th- whether the yeah.
2: CPU makes whether my 2.5 gigahertz CPU is going to be. Yeah, we'll give it a test. That'll be fun. We'll see just how much slower it is. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be cool, and whether or not it's I/O bound versus. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. I mean, we
0: um had some. <clears throat> some desires here for faster compile time and of course some things you can do you can actually improve compile time by you know making pre-compiled binaries and we have a large app so there's a bit of that going on we're moving in that direction but the other thing that people some devs have done have grabbed um imac pros and because you know theoretically it'd be a lot faster and it was a lot faster until the high, the newest version of 2018 macbook pro cpu maxed out and it's pretty much the same speed so it's not that difference. This is not that machine. This is 2017. So, yeah.
2: so the, the maxed out one, it. the one that has a thermal throttling? That
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> has has it a thermal back. throttling. Yeah. You can compile great, but only for 10 seconds.
2: And then, <laughs> so if you put it on a cold brick and then start compiling and you, you swap out bricks. You, so you
0: compile can, and then you freeze the process, wait for it to cool down <laughs> and it starts like a can of CO2 air
2: just like spraying <laughs> on it repeatedly hoping that it doesn't. I have no idea if it's that bad. It's um, so funny. I, I, no, but th- th- this actually raises something I thought would be really really... Really cool is that I could get the new laptop with the old SSD, do the compile, then swap out the the storage module and then see if that makes a difference because the storage module will probably be about the same speed as the the very newest – macbook pros that's right i'm sure there's there's gotta be just
0: tests you can run too
2: well just a straight cpu meter doesn't really cover
0: it no it doesn't you really want real world situations i do care about how long it takes to compile this one application. like that's the thing that matters to me and now too because i'm doing android too
2: (laughs) like how how long is that you know that zip file that that storyboard file going to take to load up to push everything around and because those things are getting big these days well, if you do a lot of dev work in
0: zip files, yeah, that's true. We don't do as much as you'd expect. Like we're not using a whole storyboard flow. We're doing some zips, definitely, um, but we don't. But uh, zip files standalone. being the
2: user interface linkage for yeah. iOS apps. And, and unless Mac
0: you're, apps. you know, unless you're working on a giant one where the entire thing has to be compiled, it doesn't matter that much because normally you open one small zip. Everything else has already been built last time you ran. If you do a clean build, yeah, it's time for coffee. You know, or time for lunch. <laughs> Um, but we should do that. both of those. That's true. That's, that's a good point. We need a really big app for this. God, I got a Java app at work. I can't <laughs> compile. But anyway. Uh, speaking of Java, though, I've been playing with Kotlin and lovely. I'm really kind of a digging it. I'm, doing, I'm now doing, you're going to hate me for this, Brian. I'm doing more Kotlin work than Swift work.
1: <laughs> it's OK. You're, you're <laughs> learning Swift through it.
2: <laughs> I'm learning Swift through Kotlin. <laughs> no, I've actually been impressed with it, too. Like, there's, yeah. there's a lot of deficiencies that just can't be fixed in Java. That You know, it's really, calling you it's, can it it's really interesting. It's, it's I remember awesome. when I really got to understand
0: Groovy, and I was like, yeah, this is cool, and I felt really good about it. And then Java 8 came out, and I'm like, oh, well, I don't really need Groovy anymore because pretty much everything I wanted mm-hmm. is in Java 8. And so it's like, oh, Groovy's kind of an, like this annoying middle
2: ground thing I don't really want, and I, I do a lot of Groovy. I just wrote about this on Quora. Did. Oh, really? Quora.com. Cool. Quora. Yeah, yeah. Someone was asking about, like, why isn't Groovy a thing anymore? And I'm like, well, some people have said it was because of Scala was better, which it was. Maybe, but, no, it's because, because Java, Java 8 has, got better. Yeah, Java eight has closures and that's all you need. Well, and then Java ten got the var keyword.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of relaxed so, relaxed qualities can. to it. Yeah, I, we're not in Java ten yet, so I'm not experienced that yet. But in when I was first thinking about Kotlin, I kind of had that feeling about it. Like, oh yeah, I heard yeah, this sounds like groovy to me. Not at all. It is a very different language. You know, it definitely feels like you're in a more. I don't want to insult Java by saying a more contemporary language, but that's what it feels like. So I will down with Java. No. Well,
2: just, yeah, Groovy was Java with a couple of things made helpers, easier. Helpers, yeah. You know,
0: and like precompiler things that, you know... In fact, when you say helpers, uh, there's so many side effects of Groovy that's troublesome as a developer mm-hmm. that it no like longer traps. seems to be any major benefit. Speed major speed yeah. I don't yeah. have any benefit to Groovy in some sense because you're creating all these virtual classes all the time, all this extra wrapper happening, so... Efficiency just down, you know, mm-hmm. goes down a lot. And then when you're thinking about like a very large scale, like Netflix, and you're thinking about Groovy and any type of maybe uh, not as efficient as it could be,
2: you're talking about a lot of wasted money, right? Um, so yeah, we're and anywhere between like six times slower to you know, or six, uh, one sixth the speed to one twentieth the speed or more. Yeah, yeah, it's it can be significant if you. It's how know, you develop it. If you don't know about Groovy and you just kind of do something that seems intuitive, you can end up having a bad day. The other thing that's going on for for my team, we've been doing we do a lot of uh,
0: like modules that we then give off to other client teams, and those modules, you know, you have things like private, you know, because it's kind of convenient to have that. Mm-hmm. Except that in Groovy, not really. You don't really ever have private, so you have to actually because everything's surfaceable, which is convenient and nice and flexible and blah blah blah. But it makes, it makes your development time. You have to build another layer to make sure you have a clean interface. And it's just a – I'm not into Groovy, yeah. but I'm into Kotlin. Yeah.
2: And Kotlin has the support of – like Android development is not going to be in Kotlin. Yeah. So that's, that's why I'm so, doing it right now is the, the Netflix app. Going to have day. that push. Uh, should we switch over to Swift? Uh, we're jumping around here. Um, <laughs> I look over to Miles. Look well, over to Brian. Thing, oh, wait, whoa, haven't whoa. people starting to write uh, some iOS apps in Kotlin too?
1: Have oh, really? You tried doing that. Yeah, I, and, and people are also starting to use Swift uh, across the that barrier as well. Yeah, that's true. In, but, in uh, over in an Android, the, it's not truly functional yet. Okay, but yeah, yeah. But, well, but Kotlin it,
2: and Swift are lexically similar. S- they're they're so, very... so much more similar than Java and Objective C or Java and swift were
1: right absolutely
0: yeah they're very similar um i've got a friend who's doing all his he's got an ios app or two and all his back-end stuff is now in swift as well mm-hmm. which is pretty neat i think he's on ibm's cloud infrastructure but maybe it's microsoft's cloud infrastructure anyway doing uh swift must be ibm
1: well I, yeah ibm has embraced yeah. it uh, heavily they've got their own framework for doing back-end uh with swift
0: it's funny though. Um, you know, being an Objective C developer and also in Groovy and also in not Groovy less so much. Um, I really like types all of a sudden, <laughs> and I am big proponent of JavaScript. Like I, you know, I used to be a developer advocate, travel the world, talk about JavaScript and how awesome it is. Duck typing everywhere. Really like types now. I'm like, if you well, don't that's have, what TypeScript is for. Yeah, but that's not JavaScript. I mean, and TypeScript is great. I think it's cool, but it's not JavaScript.
1: So, so you don't find yourself writing more code just to get around something?
0: Um, You know, I do a lot. My job, because I'm a a cross-functional team group, I touch a lot of different uh, projects, spaces. So I'll jump in and for two weeks work in an environment and then jump back out. And what I'm normally doing is not infrastructure stuff. It's not like core level things. It's a little bit of UI changes, a little bit of a new screen, that kind of stuff. And therefore, I'm already using a lot of pre-existing code. And when I have a system that can autocomplete for me, understands, like, oh, I'm getting a method and I need to pass something. Oh, I need, kind of, oh, I need to pass it to view. All these things are very beneficial to me as a dev jumping in quickly because my IDE is actually helping me. And in a traditional JavaScript environment
2: where you don't have types, you're just going to have a lot less of that ability. Is That's that the a- thing, though. Ty- TypeScript, very much today, because browsers are now getting to an even keel of having ES2016 or ES2017 support, um, that it... Is a mild, a very mild, very thin superset of JavaScript. Like literally, there's nothing much for TypeScript to do except here. Let's check that the signatures match, and then drop all the explicit type information. It's true, and it's there.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Do you do you have that feeling in Swift with, you know, uh, what's that called? Blanking
1: on my Swift terminology. Generics. Generics. Yeah.
0: Is that is that messing with you?
1: So the code base that I've been working in for most of the last year came from Objective-C, which means uh, it's largely built on a lot of um, typeless uh, methodologies and thinking. And we've been converting it over to Swift and trying to take advantage of types. Because of the bridging between the two? Well, because it was a mixed code base, you could only take advantage of Swift in so many places because you had to interrupt with Objective-C that... The, there, there's many things that you can express in Swift that just you can't use it from Objective C because okay. it, it doesn't understand them. So because of that, the even the Swift portion of the code base was largely using, uh, was not using the type system nearly as much as it could. And uh, <laughs> sorry, you got a little lost here. You were asking, oh, so so now that we're we've gotten it converted and we're truly using the type system, it's it's wonderful. It's great, but the 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 rest of the team seems to be struggling with taking advantage of it because they're so used to thinking in terms of, of a non-typed uh, or a loosely typed system.
0: Yeah, so they can't take full advantage of having a type system. Right. Thing. Yeah. Right.
1: Where in my development career, I've I've grown up thinking this way uh, more often than than, than uh, using a, a loosely typed system, and, and I just love it because of the rewrite that I'm doing, the the, the refactor I'm doing. There's days and days where I can't run the app. It's, it's just in a non-functional state. And I just have to to write, compile, take, uh, take the comfort in knowing that it compiles now. <laughs> <laughs> um, not knowing whether it's truly correct, but um, at least with that type system there to help me. I, I feel definitely like I, helps a lot. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I've I've gotten 90% of the way there.
0: I've got to say, one of the things I'm enjoying in the Java and Kotlin, because actually the app is Kotlin and Java, is um, the ability... Just the, the, I feel comfortable again, coming from Objective-C. Like when you you stick yourself in a certain environment and there's certain patterns already set up, you do it that way, right? And you start doing everything in that form. A great example of this kind of pressure you get from Objective-C is you cannot do method overriding, right? So your method signatures are actually names and everyone is unique. And in a lot of languages, of course, you can say, well, I'm going to have four variants of this method. And they're going to be, you know, one has more params than the other. And depending on how many params you use in the calling, you get, you know, a, the same intent, but different parts of the code are executed. And that allows you to do things that's a little different. Objective-C, everything's uniquely named, and so you don't have that capability. It just, it ties your hands together a little bit. And so it's neat finding my other languages again and kind of breaking myself out of that pattern, which I've been in for three years. or something
1: like that. <laughs> And yet, whenever I look at uh, uh, forums and... Um, old timers i keep hearing this this whole concept that we really haven't changed programming at all since the 60s or since the 50s It's still essentially the the same thing well do you get that sense or do do all these new languages with fancy features and and strong type systems make you feel like no we've really we've really gotten to a point where programming is vastly better
2: yeah i don't i don't agree with that um Yes, I I know that Lisp has been around since the 70s, 60s, late 60s, early 70s. C has been around since the 70s. What do you think is better about it then? It's better in the same way that people used to complain like, oh, I need to be able to do assembly language because I don't trust these C compilers to do good code. And there are two shifts that happened with that. One is that the people who were doing the inefficient C we're writing a lot more code and having fewer bugs in it and being able to debug it easier and talk about it better. Right. Um, And the other was that the compilers were getting so good that handwritten code, except for specific hotspots, like in in general, like, okay, you can go back in and you can tweak a specific hotspot for assembly and make it go faster. But in general, a whole program, no human being is going to match that, uh, that compiler. And, you know, nine times out of ten, the compiler is going to do a definitely good enough, possibly better than you can, especially with how complex CPUs are. And that's actually something went along with it is that CPUs, the hardware, got so much more complex that the same tricks that you used 30 years ago wouldn't work. Would, yeah, I mean, they would still work. It's just that they wouldn't be... As efficient, advantage. It, yeah. you wouldn't be pipelining. You You're talking about the, the, the processor's ability yeah. to
0: do a lot more instruction sets and a lot more patterns of execution. Mm-hmm. The compilers have actually taken advantage of that over time.
2: Right. And what the compiler authors are doing is total black magic. Yeah. Yeah. And you'd have to be a completely deep
0: expert to be able to do that in assembly the entire time,
2: right And a lot of what we do is standing on the shoulders of giants it's It's standing uh, we don't have to worry about the weeds as much because we're busy you know just running the lawnmower you know? I think another thing that we've figured out as a
0: development community is that what we do is actually very hard. um It's important to be able to communicate well and share, and everyone has the feeling every once in a while of not being good enough. And people are aware of that. Like there's all this social yeah. aspect to being a developer now that feels more welcoming. You know, when I write something and later come back and, and realize I there was something a little bit weird there and I talk to someone else, they're like, Oh yeah, I know that problem. Yeah, what about this? You know, it feels like a collaboration rather than a judgment. And I think maybe I just felt differently as a young developer. I shouldn't say young developer, a less experienced developer, and that every developer that's had a lot of experience has that feeling of, oh yeah, the 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 ability to communicate what's going on and discussion around it is the real meat of the of the problem. But it feels like the community's done that. It feels like we in general have more of that idea that these are complex problems and we think up new patterns to tackle those problems well. So I I feel like that's the thing that's changed the most. The languages are.
1: The the, the act of programming and the the um tools at which we have to program maybe haven't advanced as much as the uh the way we think about programming and the structures we've laid on top of that.
0: Yeah, and I, I also yeah. I also think that we've become more inclusive in welcoming people to program. Some new ways of thinking about programming has embedded the culture a bit. I mean it's naive you know, it's very young of a stage of that. We need a lot more growth in in uh Inclusiveness, but I think that does help, and it's very different than it was in the seventies.
2: Right, well, we were talking about Kotlin, but let's talk about some other ones, like well, the language that Kotlin re- replaced, like Java. When Java came out, it was a revelation to a lot of people. I don't have to manage the memory myself. Major and, stumbling and, block. That's true. Yeah, um, and there have been other languages that did garbage collection, but uh, and Java had you know speed problems. Early on, but it was overcoming them, and and really, it got to the point where as long as you could throw RAM at the throw RAM at it, it would get it done fast in a small fraction of the time it would have taken to do in C Now there are other languages that have also taken advantage of things that just weren't issues in the past, uh, or I mean, that's actually not true of Rust. Rust was made with, yeah, we keep shooting our leg off with C Let's have the compiler find those errors for us in much the same way that typing mm-hmm. finds those errors now for a lot of these languages that you guys were talking about. But then you have languages like Go, which is absolutely a language made with the internet in mind yeah. as a system language to compose a uh, a problem into a you – know, yeah, More like actor, a transformation yeah. than in a uh, you know Have a Go machine. routine, yeah, yeah. To, to Go and just have – Uh, These items. Finally, you know, the horror paper of the seventies is. Have you done? Have you done much uh, Go programming? I have not. I've done very little. I know it in theory. I've done toy programs, but I haven't done anything large in it. Um, I keep wanting to go back and look at it. I dove into the same way with Rust. What about Scala? Oh, I, I actually did a little bit in Scala. I did and a, a then day ran, of pain in Scala. And then ran <laughs> into, because I was going to be do, redoing some of the stuff for GeekSpeak in Scala. Uh-huh. And what I ran into was the incompatibilities with annotations. Like I mean, Java annotations. Annot, Java annotations. Um, they were all, like, you can't use the object relational uh, mapping tools with Scala. You just, you can't. Oh, okay. Um, you just run into too many things. You do data uh, object model mappers. Uh, to, the, to the race and of the database, yeah. yeah. Um, although, I mean, that's not that big of a loss. I've actually soured on ORMs in general. But uh, there were a lot of times where you'd have these, you know, annotations, and then you go to Scala, and you're like, there's nowhere for me to put this. Scala doesn't understand what I'm doing. I can't. You can't construct a class off of something else. Right. And Scala's big claim to fame was we're Java only, we're a better, cleaner language yeah. for Java. But yeah. You brought up other languages. Well, there's there's also R. In other words, when we deal with like AI and uh, large data sets and, and modeling statistics, you have languages like R that are, they were made from the ground up to do this and to do visualizations based upon that data like it's just that really didn't exist before you could do it but it didn't exist as a language that was made for that specific purpose domain specifically
0: in the last couple months i've done this little side project at work uh in our alerting system where we send out emails when things are going away um in a certain test case and um that system is all in python and so i've been writing python pretty much the first time since i did like a I helped out in an introduction to programming class mm-hmm. years ago at UCSC with Python. So I've played with it before. Um, but in in working in it, the thing that got me that was a trick is that I'm doing what I would – I would traditionally do asynchronous programming. I'm doing synchronously. So I'm freezing the mm-hmm. the process. And it just – it has I, that global interpreter lock oh that if you hit
2: it, you're done. And
0: I just haven't, I haven't felt that way in programming languages for a long time because the way that you do it, you just don't – in the programming language I've been working on, that's not something you think about, it's something mm-hmm. you worry about. And I realized, like last time I was doing this, was in was Perl, like in the CGI <laughs> in '97. In you know, like that's the time frame when I was doing this kind of programming. And actually, I mean, the execution of this program, like I was just waiting for an, a network connection to to return my mm-hmm. values for me. And sure enough, I was just sitting there. Yeah, if you're in CGI,
2: weird. it's already farmed out that new process. That yeah, process it's is nothing else going to be doing until yeah, yeah.
0: It's anyway. It was a uh, it was kind of fun to work in... And so once I got the feeling like, oh, this is just like Perl. Like, I'm using this the same way I used to use Perl. And then I'm like, yeah, I dig this. I'm enjoying this. It's It feels good to me.
2: Um, have you done much Python? Uh, I did that uh, database foreign table wrapper to read from the file system.
0: Oh, that was in Python?
2: Yeah. Oh, cool. Because Postgres runs Python? Uh, it has a module called Multicorn. The um, opposite of Unicorn. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, and that abstracts the C interfaces within PostgreSQL, so you can write these uh, wrappers much more quickly and easily.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, We're done talking about programming and your laptop. So I do, I'm curious <laughs> about your new improved laptop not being the newest and, and still trying to hack and Hackintosh uh, a little bit. I mean, of course, it's still Apple hardware. Um, I hope that it's successful for you. Your motivations are what?
2: I really want a better display. <laughs> okay, and so, I don't want to go slower than I did before. So I, I, right I, now you really couldn't spend as much
0: money as possible at an Apple store and get a machine that was better than you currently have from the throughput perspective? Well, you could, right? You I could, could spend $4000 I mean, and do you it. You
2: can spend money to solve any problem. Like, yes, I could I could plunk down 4000 bucks and get a top of the line has more RAM, has the same amount of storage that I have now. <laughs> Um, and runs, you know, three times faster or whatever. Um, But I just don't, I don't, there was a time, sorry, I'm just going to be dating myself right now, where when we were coming up in computers, talking about how old we are, you look in Computer Shopper, the big tome, and computers were, you know, desktop, or the tower computers were 4,000 bucks, you know, it was a regular thing. Three thousand bucks was a normal thing, and then we went through a period where things got cheaper. Where you know your desktop computers, you know that were more powerful than those three thousand dollar ones before, were now seven hundred fifty. Yeah, you know, or twelve hundred bucks. And the laptops, like when I bought a brand new uh, MacBook Pro, it was two thousand um, bucks. And it was like, yeah, this is kind of pricey, but I'm going to go for it because it gives me this other stuff. Better choose. than like, everything. Yeah, yeah. it's like my 2006 model or something sure. like that. And now I'm seeing this price inflation again, I'm seeing the same thing with cell phones. Like that first, uh, the first Apple iPhone, the first time you could do the screen, whatever, was 650 bucks, Something like that. I think mm-hmm. that was the price. And then I got mine refurbished. It was like 400 bucks instead or something like that. And... Then you got them on uh, the subsidized price, and you, know, you pay 200 bucks, And then, like, okay, we're just, but, so, you're just going to have to buy them yourself. And they were, like, five, 600 bucks. But every time you did that, it was a much better phone. Yes, and they, remained, every single they way. remained fairly static in terms of price for a while. They stayed right. at that $600, this is how much a phone costs range. And then in the last few years, we have this noticeable price spike where, like, well, the, can, no, the R is like 700 bucks. I mean, it's a little bit more expensive, but the, the No, yeah, the R XR starts is. at 750, I believe.
0: Okay. So base 7, model. Is that still 16 gigs or is that 32 gigs? For uh,
2: still that is low, s- memory. 64. Uh, 64 is yeah, the 64, lowest, 64, I believe. That's not that bad. I'm talking about that period of time where everything was 3,000 bucks and then it dropped in price by half. Yeah. Even though everything got twice as good or more. Okay, so you're saying that basically you don't want to spend the
0: top-line price on a laptop because it's just way too expensive. But it's not about the actual hardware. I mean, you would it would be a better machine, right? I mean, let me just ask you this. If this machine in front of me wasn't a work machine, it was like my personal, would you trade this machine for this new one you're about to build?
2: It'd be tough, but probably... I don't know that I would. Because of this keyboard. Uh, I don't like the keyboard... Um... I don't like the Touch Bar.
0: Yeah, the Touch Bar is useless. You
1: um, you are usually concerned most with your expandability and your um, ability to upgrade it. But you are actually getting a machine old enough that you've already upgraded it to as much as you can upgrade. Pretty much, is that right? Are you are talking about the one the, that I just the, purchased. The new machine that you are putting so much into it, you don't have any headroom to expand it further, do you? Uh,
2: I do for storage, and that's it. Yeah, but that means that, but it means that I can get a four terabyte module when those become available eventually. Yeah. Paying 4000 bucks so I can have a one terabyte, you know, is it one terabyte or two terabytes? That's at the top level. I don't remember. I think you can get two. I know you can get two. But you're fixed at that. Yeah. And if you ever go above that, well, buy a new one and right. sell so your it's, old it's, one. It's, like, they're, it's, they're
0: still getting more and more expensive, but in no way can you delay the amount of time. Like, you can't get the mo- the best one right now and then a year from now upgrade that. It, it, that's the, it's frozen, as soon as you buy right. it, it's frozen alright, well, I think I'm, I'm I also curious to see what reader happens reader to you and shit. I think we really should try the, you know, something to test the two I do miss the SD card reader it's probably the thing I risked the most, most besides probably a reliable, a reliable keyboard, I find the keyboard is just crazy, and of course, I could take this in and get it fixed now, but I don't want to spend the time to dump this, you know, reboot another machine I don't want
2: to image a machine to get myself up and up and running. I I like a bunch of stuff in theory about the new stuff. I think that USB C was a good idea. I don't miss that they dropped MagSafe because you can get plugs like USB C plugs that you know hook up to a magnetic connector. You haven't dealt with USB C a lot, have you? I haven't.
0: No, I don't like it at all. Can't stand it. The cables pop out. I've got a, I've got, you know, I talked about an M2 uh, enclosure that you recommended. Mm-hmm. I got that's fantastic. It has all my photos on there. But anytime I plug that cable in and I put that hard drive there, if I touch my machine at all, if I move that machine at all, it disconnects. Now it's because I'm choosing the cable that has the highest throughput. I test all my cables, and that's the cable that actually has good throughput. It's really short. It's not very uh, flexible. Yeah, because
2: some some cables they should be able to fit more snug.
0: Yeah, than, yeah, yeah. I just haven't gone around to purchase them because when I went through the throughput really matter on cables. If you use the cable that you power your MacBook Pro with that you've kept with, you do not get the throughput that you'd want. And when I'm running my entire Lightroom catalog off of my external drive, I want the throughput. Like, mm-hmm. that's everything about the machine working.
2: I, I still think it's a good idea. I like the standardization of ports. I think it's the same... Feeling that I had when serial ports, parallel ports, yeah, game ports were out there, and then they all unified you're still on USB. Gonna, but uh, I,
0: can't tell you I don't have any native things that are that are USB C except for my lightning cable for charging, right? right. And my Android—I mean, the two phones that I compile all the time off—I do use the USB C. Not, not going at else least to is micro dongles. SD. I thought was a oh, total yeah, mistake. That would have been
2: if they put a micro SD instead of a standard SD. Uh, port onto the MacBook Pro I think that would have been the way to go
0: yes I'd love an
2: SD card slot on this on this device like I can see that the SD would have been too big but no, if you went micro SD big. that would no if you did micro SD that would have been, no, been, no, been, no, been, no, been fine they're moving along with the it's the next generation yeah it, make it wouldn't smaller. matter it, it,
0: so, it, it, I mean I totally wouldn't be happy with a micro SD, uh, SD card reader as well we are done with this episode of Geek Speak my name's Lyle Troxel in the air with oh me wait no I got one last thing I gotta rant about okay well hang on a second In the after show, Miles will rant. My name is Lyle Troxell. In the air with me was Brian Young. Supporting us remotely from Canada was Greg Merkley. Today's episode, upgrading Apple laptops with bad languages.
2: Miles, what's your rant? That you can't use a single cable to plug in and daisy chain two 4K monitors. (laughs) And And the thing is, the spec would support it. Like, you could do it. Yes, DisplayPort 1.2, you should be able to. If I install Windows onto that laptop... On the laptop, same piece of hardware. On the same hardware, I can daisy-chain two 4K laptops. It's the operating system, OS ten, that doesn't allow the multi-stream technology, MST. That's another reason why I won't go for the brand-new laptop. I'm like, no, because they've hobbled it. There's defects with regard to the keyboard and stuff like that that I don't like, but there are some things that could mitigate it easily. Like a single cable that supplies power... And shunts out to two monitors, single cable. Boom, you're there. That would be a total and game power changer. too? I'd love that. That'd be great. would be a total game changer. But they don't.
0: So you're not real up on Apple right now?
2: I am. I just bought an Apple laptop. <laughs> <laughs>